It is so good to see you guys uh, here at our Battlefield campus. Uh, and those of you at Overflow, uh, we know that's not uh, uh, the best experience. We appreciate you hanging in there with us, and we, we hope we'll be able to get our sanctuary back to maximum capacity before uh, too long. I tell you, I was sitting and listening to worship, and the, the songs that, that, that these guys do, several of these songs that they did today, I mean, I, I listened to the bands that recorded those. I like our musicians and our folks. I think they sound better than those guys. I and mean, it's amazing to see the work that they do. It's un- unbelievable. I love it. I, I'm, I'm singing loud in my office back there and hoping my, my, my biggest fear is like that my mic would be on for one of those deals. And that would be like really, really, a, really a bad, a bad thing. I, I appreciate Brad mentioning uh, Texas. We were just there. Amy and I, Brad was with us, Marcus on our um, AV team. We were down there filming some stuff for our Good Friday service, which we're super excited about, by the way. It's just going to be a totally online service for Good Friday, but we were right there right just a day before the storm came in and hit, and just a ton of devastation just to see what's happened, so I appreciate him mentioning that. Hey, we are coming to a close. Uh, next week will be our final week in this Proverbs series. Uh, maybe the thing that's meant the most to me is how many of you have started your day every single day with the Proverbs podcast, and so you've worked uh, all the way through or just about all the way through uh, the book of Proverbs. And as we've gone through Proverbs on Sunday, Nick and I have been taking just some of the key themes that you see over and over again brought up in Proverbs, and we're building sermons on those. And so we've looked at uh, things like establishing how important it is to establish healthy friendships. That's a, uh, that's a, a part of Proverbs. We've looked at purity, which is a part of Proverbs. Last week, uh, Nick did a great job talking about work. And, and so Proverbs is a, is a book of, of wisdom. It's wisdom literature. And so we always say, well, well, how would you define wisdom? We've said throughout this series is, is wisdom is taking the answers of God that we find through the Word of God to really the questions of life, right? That's what wisdom is. And, and so I think as you study Proverbs, we're better able uh, to do that. Another definition of wisdom is this. Wisdom is living my life today with the decisions that I have to make today, living my life today like I would live it if it was the very last day of my life, Right? And so that's, a, that's an understanding of wisdom. So today as we turn our attention uh, again to the book of Proverbs, we're going to look at uh, a topic that comes up over and over again in the book of Proverbs. In fact, Proverbs has 31 chapters, and in those 31 chapters, 69 passages deal with this topic. It's the topic of money. And so you always get really nervous when a preacher starts talking about money, but we're not taking up an offering. You know, we haven't taken up an offering in 11 months here. Isn't that amazing? But yet, we are, our receipts, what we've received through tithes and offerings are 10% over what they were this time last year. So praise God for that. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? I think that we haven't taken up an offering in 11 years and I mean, in 11 months and the giving's better. So I think we're just done with offering, right? Just, you know, we're just, probably not. But anyways, uh, so th- this, is, uh, this is not about trying to fleece you, make you feel guilty, so you'll give more. This is just really taking a look what what the Bible has to say about money because it's such a big part of our life. And there's a lot of people that will talk to you, and there's a lot of books and a lot of podcasts that you can read or listen to that will tell you how to be rich. There are a lot of people talking about how to be rich. What there aren't as many t- people talking about is how to be truly wealthy, and those are really different things. And so we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, we're gonna talk about that today. And I wanna I wanna get started uh, with, with a passage from Proverbs again. Proverbs has 69 verses on money. We're gonna look at 67 of them today, and we'll look at the other two next week. In fact, our final week in this series, I've just because of my love for you and care for you, uh, I've cut this message in half. And so we'll look at the final. Did somebody just say amen to that? That's super awkward, like super awkward to do that. 
I'll tell you when you should. That was not a good chance to do that. <laughs> Proverbs 13, 22 uh, says this, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Now, now think about this because Solomon, King Solomon, who had um, sort of, I, I describe it, and maybe it's not the best way, a, a genie in the bottle moment. He has a, God gives him an opportunity, Solomon, who's the author of, of most of Proverbs, God gives him the opportunity to ask for anything, and Solomon asks for wisdom, and God gives it to him, right? And he gives him wealth on top of that and power on top of that. But Solomon is, 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 is imparting through the Holy Spirit and through his experience wisdom to his sons on, on money. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. So as you read Proverbs, Proverbs has a ton of really great things to say about money. Money is not evil. The Bible says it is the, it is the love of money that's the root of evil, but money's not, not evil. So there's a lot of great things. Like what you can do, he says, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children, their children's children. And, and any kids here would say, amen. That's, that's, that's great. Grandkids are like, yes. But, but I think if you really flesh that passage out, it's, it's not just we're going to see today what true wealth is. It's not just a financial inheritance, but a legacy of faith to truly know what it is to know God, trust God, and walk with God that just passes down from generation to generation. So we'll see that. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. But watch this. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. And so what I want to say here is, is, first of all, Proverbs has a lot of really neat things to say about money. But then secondly, we're going to see that these are principles in Scripture that do not break. Like these principles that we're going to see about money, they don't break. And why am I saying this? And you would say, well, isn't that true for every principle found in Scripture? Well, the answer to that is yes. But for some reason, as it relates to money, maybe more than anything else in our life, we feel like we're the exception to this rule, right? And so we, we, sort of, we sort of break these rules. But these principles don't break. What Solomon is, is saying, and you'll see throughout in God's Word, that it really breaks us when we violate these, these principles. And so let, let's look at four things that really mark the life of a truly wealthy person. That, that's really what he's saying. These are four things that you will see, and we'll see the final two uh, next week, which I think are the best two, to be honest. But we're going to see the, the, the first four as we set, set the table, four things that mark the life of a truly wealthy person, because I believe that's what God desires for you, right? And, and I, I know you would hear this today and say, well, that sounds like sort of like prosperity gospel. No, 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 just wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let, let, let's, let's see that, okay, before we go further. Here, here's the first thing. First thing is the wise, the truly wise, when it relates to wealth, the, the wise have redefined wealth, so a wise person has redefined wealth. Now, let, let me just say this. Money is not the best indicator of a wealthy life. That would be a good place for amen. Yeah, yeah. Um, money is never the best indicator of a wealthy life. And you would say, well, why is that? Because to be honest, we all believe that it is. It's sort of the way we're hardwired uh, because of a fallen nature and because of the culture that we live in today. And so we believe that. But money's never the best indicator of a wealthy life. Why? Because money's never enough. I mean, there's never enough money. You, you, You never make enough. How much money is enough? A little bit more than what you have. We've talked about that a lot, right? Uh, what, what would be enough money for, for me? Just 5000 more than what I make now. That'd be enough, right? It is just, it's fluid. It always changes. And so let's look at Proverbs 15, 16, because what Solomon is going to do is he's going to show what, a, what the wise person, how a wise person really defines wealth, right? Better a little, he says in Proverbs 15, 16, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil, 
Well, that's a great passage, isn't it? I mean, it'd be much better off to just have a little and have a healthy fear. What is that? A healthy fear and respect and live in awe of the majesty of who God is and come under his authority. It'd be, be way better to have just a little and have a healthy fear of God than to live with great turmoil because without a healthy fear of God, right, if you don't fear God, you fear everything else. Is it? that make sense, right? So this is how you define wealth. And here's the thing about, about money. Money is the number one competitor in your life and my life uh, for really the power of God and the obedience to God. It's what's in conflict more than anything else, right? Am I going to trust it or am I going to trust, trust the Lord? In fact, Jesus says this, and what are we talking about here? We're just talking about how the, the wise have redefined wealth. And so what Solomon is saying is he's saying a start of an understanding of redefining wealth is to have a healthy fear of God, to be rich in that way. Right? And then Jesus says this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? That's an amazing statement, isn't it? Like Jesus says, you know, that, that doesn't make any sense. If you have everything that can be, be amassed in the culture, but yet because of your pursuit of that, you totally neglected God and that you forfeit your soul, that you would trade in these 80 or 90 years here on planet Earth for an eternity. That, Jesus says that doesn't make any sense. And then he asks a question that is just a mind-blowing question when you really think about it. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 37. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Is this rhetorical or should we try to answer this? I'm going to ask you. Like, what, what price would you put on your soul? Or what would you give in exchange? You, you, you see, because people say this, that everything has a price. Is that true? Everything has a price. Well, it's not true in my life. Like, you can't have my wife. She doesn't have a price. Can't have my kids. Definitely can't have my grandkids. They don't have a price. You can have my dogs. Yeah, I'll sell them to you today. Give them away. They have, they, have, they have a price, right? My relationship with Christ doesn't have a price. But like, you, you, you could come, I'm perfectly, completely honest. You could come today and offer me as if anyone could. I don't know, you name it, $10 trillion. I don't, I'm not taking it. Because no, there would be nothing I would give from my relationship with Christ because without it, I have nothing, right? And that's what Jesus says. So he says, you know what? The wise person invests here, right? Because that's how, you, that's how you build wealth. You build wealth through investing in the right things, you see? So invest in the right things because this is what pays dividends. Now look at Proverbs 15, 17. Again, this is building on Solomon says, hey, here's what I want you to do. The first thing you have to do is it, is it comes to, to wealth is you've got to redefine it, Right? Proverbs 15, 17, better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Now, in that culture, you know, you didn't have, we have meat at just about every meal in our culture. That, that culture, only the exceedingly wealthy would do that, right? So he said, better just continue just to eat vegetables and just have healthy relationships with those people around you than, you know, Ruth Chris and hatred, right, or turmoil. And then look at, he goes on and builds on this same principle. And, and, and what is he doing? He's redefining wealth. He's saying that healthy relationships really trump a healthy bottom line. Like, that's what's more important. I mean, you can set it a fancy meal, but if nobody's getting along, right, that doesn't um, uh, account for a whole lot. I mean, you ever done it as, as, as a mom or dad? I mean, you take the family out, and it's like, I mean, you go to the place, right? And it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a bill. Like, it's one of those that when they bring it, you're like, huh. 
I just let Amy pay. I mean, with the because I, I can't even look at it, and and exact indigestion. So she she I don't even want to know. But you know it's a bill, and and like the whole time, I mean, everybody's on their phone. Nobody's getting along. It's kind of just like wow, right? It'd be better to go to Hardee's and have everybody love each other and encourage each other. That's what he's he's saying. So invest in relationships. That's how you redefine wealth. Proverbs seventeen one. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting when there's strife. So you have to redefine wealth. What is it that you really want? Healthy relationships. Now, this is um, 100% honest and also um, very difficult for me to talk about. There have been times in my professional life that professionally things were going really pretty good for me. And financially, things were going good for me, but my relationships were poor. My relationship with the Lord had drifted. My relationship with my wife had drifted. So I was professionally and financially, but relationally, and the net result was misery, right? There have been other times that professionally, not so much. Financially, not so much. But relationally, yeah, not solid, but, I mean, not perfect, but solid. And the net result was satisfaction. So if I just dig into that equation, it really shows me, really, what's truly important, right? And that I invest in those things. Because here, here's the bottom line truth. If, if I love God, uh, if I love money more than I love God, I'll, I'll never find contentment. Let me say that again. If I love money more than I love God, I'll never find contentment. And to that, we would say, yes. And to that, we would also say, well, there's really no way to really judge that. <laughs> so we don't really know. But that's wrong. We can. And you say, well, how can we? I mean, Jesus tells us. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? So if I just take a look at what I value most, which is how I'm spending, what I'm spending the most, it tells me what's most important to me. You know, And so uh, the wise person has to really redefine wealth. We have to in, in, invest in, in, in different things, in, in relationships over possessions and experiences. We're, we're a culture today. Think about this. See if you agree or disagree. We are a culture today. And this is a general statement. We're a culture today that is rich in possessions and experiences and poor in relationships. And a wise person just flips those. So a wise person invests first in, in spiritual things. And you're doing that today. Those of you who are in overflow, you're investing more, right? So you're investing here today because you're here with your scriptures open and we're looking at the word and we've invested time at the first of our week to gather with other believers and worship and hear the word of God and let God through the power of the Holy Spirit begin to transform us. That's an investment in your spiritual life and it will pay huge dividends. You know, as we study throughout the week, every single day in the Word of God, that's an investment that will pay huge dividends. When we invest in our relationships, like our, our marriage and with our time with our children, we leave, leave the office at, at the right time so we can be home to enjoy dinner. That's really saying we're investing in the right things, and it pays big dividends, right? And here's what I want us to see from, from Proverbs. I think it's what Solomon is saying. He's saying money isn't bad. It's just not ultimate, Right? Because we've made it that in the culture. Money's not bad. It's, it's just not ultimate. And when it comes to money, let's think about this. This is going to get awkward. All of us in this room probably have one or two issues, one or two of these issues with money. For some of us, money equals security. Right? So when, when we have, 
you know, extra money, then we feel secure because money offers that fa- false sense of security and, and, and creates this false dependence instead of being trusting in God. So in, 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 in other environments, you might say, well, there's some people that are just savers. So we're into security. And then there's some that look at money as their significance, right? So if I, 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 money gives me a chance to have things that make me feel more significant. The way I dress makes me feel more significant. What I drive makes me feel more significant. So one of, we have either one of these two issues with money. And here's a law of the universe. You're usually married to the person who has the other one, right? Spenders are married to savers. It's true in our, our marriage. You know. My wife is a saver. I'm one purchase away from a great life. That's just the way, I mean, that's just, that's just who I am. You know, we go get our taxes done and we get a little money back and she's thinking about how we can set that aside. I've already booked a trip to Venice, Louisiana to fish for three days. I mean, online, I just did it. Just kidding, I haven't. I thought about it. And Thursday night, I'm preaching this message and Amy's at home watching and, and I come home and I'm eating dinner and I'm looking through a catalog or something. I'm gonna, and she said, yeah, it's your significance, isn't it? Right. I said, you know what? I just preach the messages. I don't need you to criticize me right now. But, but she's right. But, but, but here, here, here's the thing. One's not better than the other. They're both false gods. Security or significance, right? It's, 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 it's both putting money in a place where, where God needs, needs to be. So here's the homework question. This is very important homework, right? I loved what Brad said at the beginning. Just a reminder. Let, let, let's just not be hearers of the word. Let's be doers. Let's do something with it. Let's let God do something in our heart about this, you know? Worship is not showing up for an hour on Sunday. Worship is the way we live our life on a daily basis with every single decision that we make in our life, right? Yeah. So here's the question for homework. How do you define wealth? How do you define wealth? Because everybody defines wealth. And here, here, here's, the, here's the reason why this is such an important question. How you define wealth will define you. It will affect everything about you, right? Okay, let, let, let's move on. Those of you who are still awake. No, no, number two. The wise have the discipline to wait. This is what Solomon says. He says, as I take a look at the truly wealthy, people who have the wisdom and are wealthy, I notice this, they have the wisdom to wait. I remember growing up, I don't know if you guys remember this, this is going to show up my age. I remember growing up, had a, there was a Kmart that was a mile from my house, about a mile from my house, back roads, you could ride your bike, my huffy bike with yellow mag wheels was awesome. And I could ride my bike there and to Kmart. At the back of my local Kmart, it wasn't mine, but anyways, at the back of the local Kmart in, in, in my neighborhood was a, was a little office. It had these big shelves. It was actually a big room, and it was the, the layaway office. Do you remember that? How many, just show of hands. How many remember layaway? Yeah. The rest of you, Google that. Because you don't, I mean, if you're, you have no idea, like you're, you're, you're a millennial, you're like, layaway, that's weird. We don't have layaway today. We do have something. Anyways, let me explain layaway for you just real quickly. So layaway was when you, when you came into your local Kmart, like and you went back to the sporting goods section for me and I saw a, a, a glove or, you know, a fishing rod and reel that I wanted or a bike, you could take it off the shelf and you could go back to the layaway office. You literally brought it to them. They would take it and they would store it. They would put your name on it. And then you started an account and you just brought a little bit of money all along until that day you could free it, right? Free the bike day. And you, your buddies came and it was awesome. You just walked out of the store like an absolute boss because you owned it, right? Now, here's the deal. In our culture today, we don't have layaway. We have something else. What is it? Yeah. Everybody answers. We have credit. Like, you don't have to lay it away. You can have it today, right? Isn't that true? The problem is we don't have it. It has us. Listen to what Solomon says, Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, 
Now, what, what is he saying? Like, in just a, a terribly bad, oppressive way? Maybe. Or maybe what he's saying is the rich have figured out which side of this equation to be on, right? The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave or is a servant to the lender, you see? And so that is so easy for us in our, our culture today. And, and can I just stop and say this because I, I know that the emails come. For some of you, you're like, yes, thank you for preaching on debt. No, we're just looking at Proverbs and just seeing what the Scripture says. But there is a group of folks, and this is going to really anger you. There's a group of folks, especially in Middle Tennessee, that believe that debt is sin and that if you borrow money, you are an absolute sinner. Um, I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I think what the Bible teaches is it's not the wise move, right? It's not the wise play. And so there's some that can be so legalistic about that, and they're just constantly bashing other people. And I just wonder, where's the grace and the mercy of God in the midst of that? And I don't think it's the best interpretation of Scripture. Now, I just alienated the other side of you, right? But here's the principle. About the average American spends about 105% of what they make. So... That's a problem. Of, of credit cards, 71% of credit cards in the United States of America, the, the owner of that credit card just makes minimum payments. And so from TVs to degrees, we just borrow. Now, again, when I'm talking about borrowing money here, listen, because I, I know I get the feedback here. Um, and really, I can just look at you and see. I'm talking about borrowing money mainly on things that are going down in value. That makes sense. I mean, I have a mortgage. My home, especially if you're living in Middle Tennessee, uh, the last five years, like that's it's a good investment, right? It's going up in value. That's a different thing. But here's the point: it's foolish to try to upgrade your lifestyle through credit. That's really what Solomon is saying. He's telling telling his son because you'll never never be free. You'll always be a servant to the lender. And so, but if we dig a little bit deeper with that, if you look to stuff for your significance the result will often be slavery, right? Because we need it now because this is really a hard issue. And then I'm being controlled by that. And so here's something that we say, and I want you to track with me a little bit because this, you know, this can be a little confusing. I think most of us would agree that the average person that is struggling with debt issues, it's, it's usually not an earning problem. It's usually a spending problem. Would you agree with that? I mean, because the average millionaire in the United States of America is school teachers and postal workers and just factory workers that were just disciplined, just, just middle-class people, right? So it, it, it wasn't, we believe that, you know what, if I just made more, then I could have more. Well, listen, if something doesn't change, it just, it's just more stuff to have us. In fact, I was listening to the radio this last week and heard this. Michael Jackson, upon his death, his estate had over $400 million in debt, Wow, I mean, now you, no one would say that Michael Jackson had an earning problem, right? And so this is, you know, it was a spending problem. But watch this. I think this is where the gospel comes to play because a lot of people will tell you that. But here's a, here's a step deeper. It's really not, a, it's not just a spending problem. It's a heart problem. And you say, what do you mean? It's a heart that is unsettled because it hasn't found its significance and satisfaction and contentment in Christ, in Christ alone. So we look for our significance in other things, you see? So until that heart problem gets addressed, nothing will really be changed. That's where the gospel has the ability to transform our life. 
So here's the second question for your homework. Am I in any way looking to stuff for my significance? Really when I should be looking to Christ. So let's look at the first two points. We're halfway home. You guys okay? Those of you who are watching online, the wise, they've learned to redefine wealth, right? They have a different definition. They're relationship rich. Number two, the wise have the discipline, discipline to wait. And again, we didn't say this in that point, but I see this most of the time with young couples in marriage, and they're just starting out. It's such an exciting time, but, but, but they want the same standard of living moving into their first home that their parents took 30 years to get, right, with everything, and, and that didn't go over well. And here's the point. You can have it. You can have it. You can have it now. But then 30 days later, you realize that it has you, and then we do so much marriage counseling here with just financial issues of, of, of falling prey to this principle that Solomon is saying, the borrower is always servant to the lender, right? So let's look at the third thing. The wise avoid get-rich-quick get schemes. And you say, well, that doesn't sound like a biblical concept. It is. Um, and I think it's probably more important now in the last 10 or 11 months than it's ever been before. I, I have seen more get-rich-quick schemes. Everybody's trying to short everybody's stock. I mean, there are more day traders in the last 10, 10 months than ever in history. In fact, I'm one. I got a Robinhood account. Put $100 in it. I haven't bought any stock. I want to get my $100 out. I don't know how to get it out. <laughs> uh, one of our younger, younger guys just emailed me. He said, I'll, I'll help you. I'll help you get it out uh, tonight, Pastor. I said, well, do you know what a check, check registry is? He didn't know that is, so I'm going to show him what a check registry is, and he's going to show me how to get rid of our Robin. But why is that? Because, you know what, there's, there's just, it just seems like right now, everybody's thinking, well, there's some opportunities for just some quick cash. Does that make sense? I mean, everybody. I mean, the whole uh, GameStop fiasco, whatever that was. And again, I'm not, here, here's the point, because I'm seeing the looks. Like, you guys are, you're lighting me up with your looks. I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you, I'm not your investment counselor, right? I, I'm, I'm not your financial uh, planner. Uh, Hunter, you go see him. He, he, he does that, not, not, not me. But I think what, 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 you, what you need to be careful of is this sort of get-rich-quick scheme because the Scripture has something to say about it. So let's look at that. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11, those who work their land will have an abundant, abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. That's pretty, that's pretty tough, isn't it? He says, those who work their land will have abundance, but if you chase fantasies, you're just exhausted and, and you have nothing. Look at Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent. If you have your Bible open, Proverbs 21.5, I know I'm moving kind of fast, be a great verse to underline because it's really a powerful word. The plans of the diligent, that word diligent, I double underline that. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to, what does it say? Poverty. So again, you know, we, we have to uh, really reject this get-rich scheme mentality. And, and that, that is true, and it's, it's present in all of us, so we don't feel guilty, right? All of us have that, like, hit the lottery sort of mentality. I mean, isn't that true? I mean, we all, whether you buy lottery tickets or not, I, uh, you know, what bothers me most about the lottery is having to wait to pay my gas while you do eight scratch-offs. That's my biggest, you know, has a problem with that. But whenever we buy a lottery, we just say, you know what, it's, I'm going to be the one, Right? And what's the point? We just have that in us. We're, we're just, we're easily taken by any get-rich-quick scheme. And Solomon is telling his son, listen, don't, 
different. It's the plans of the diligent that leads to profit. Now, what does it mean to be diligent? What he's talking about as it relates to their work, it means to be consistent. It means to be faithful. But watch this. It, it, it's a word picture of like sharpening your sickle. A sickle was used in harvesting wheat. And if your sickle is sharper, you're more efficient in your work. So focus more on being better at what God has called you to do if you want to to do better financially than just chasing all these fantasies that will just lead you exhausted, right? And you see that so, so many times. You see people who are so great in one area of their life. They may be a musician, a physician, an attorney, all these things, and they're so great in one area, but then they get involved in some other area that they don't, they don't know about as much, and, and they get taken advantage of. That happens all the time to so many people. And listen, I, I can fall prey to it as well, right? That's why I opened a Robinhood account. So here's the question. Here's the question, third question, and then we'll be done. Am I chasing any fantasies in my financial life? God, is, is there anything, is, are, are there any fantasies that I'm chasing that I'm just, when I just need to be diligent in the work that you've called me to do? Things that are just distracting me and ultimately will cost me in the, in the long run. And then the fourth and final thing, and, and we're, we're done today. It's so fascinating to me when the music begins to play to see the look of relief on your face. It is my favorite thing when I'm preaching. Like, yes, Jesus. The piano man. Sing me a song, Mr. Piano Man. <laughs> uh, number four, the wise work with integrity. Let's talk about integrity for 10 seconds. Integrity means a wholeness. You know, we would say, well, integrity is about our ethics, yes. But we make wise choices when we have our integrity, we have values that holds us together. We're a whole person, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Look at Proverbs 1, 10 through 14. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. And you read that and you're like, dude, that is... Not into that. Like, I'm not going to do that. What Solomon is talking about here is he's talking about just the guy who comes into your life or the guy who comes into your life and is just showing you a way to take somebody, take somebody financially, right? We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder, cast lot with us, and we will all share the loot. Solomon is saying, be aware. Maintain your integrity because there's always going to be opportunities in your professional life to compromise your integrity. Look at verse 19, Proverbs 1:19. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain, meaning those who compromise their integrity to increase their bottom line. Listen to this promise. Man, this is powerful. I wish we could understand. And again, these principles don't break. But if you violate them, they will break you. Right? Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. In other words, if I take advantage of somebody, if I lose my integrity and take advantage of somebody financially, then what, ha- what does Scripture say? It begins to take the life from me. And no longer, I'm coming apart. I'm not whole. Because remember what we said integrity was? Was a wholeness. And so if I lose integrity, I come apart. That's what some people say. Well, I'm just breaking down. Many times we're breaking down. Why? Because we've lost integrity in our life. You see? And that can be on our taxes. We cheat or 
cheating on an expense report or failing to disclose something. When I mean, we sell every, I mean, it's just like a Persian bazaar today online. You can sell anything and everything in the next five minutes, right? I mean, some of you have somebody meeting you right after the service to sell a pair of shoes you had in 1980, right? They're, we sell every. There's nothing wrong with that, right? That's not my point. My point is when we, when we try to take advantage of somebody, when we know there's something wrong with what we're selling and we're trying to pull something over on somebody, that's what Solomon's talking about. You've lost your integrity. It's going to affect you. Look at Colossians 3, 23. I want to read this fast. That's a great verse. Nick shared it last week in a great message, by the way. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. If you're a student, if you're a social worker, if you work the line at Nissan, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. You have a whole change in who you're serving since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a resort, as the Lord Christ you are serving. Here's one of the things that breaks my heart. About 80% of men surveyed say they dread their job. 80% of men surveyed said they don't like what they do professionally. That means eight out of ten guys in this room right now are watching online are dreading getting up tomorrow morning and going to work. That's a major issue, isn't it? It's heart-wrenching. One of, please listen to what I'm about to say. One of the reasons, one of the reasons why we are discouraged in our work. Did you hear what I said? One, not all. One of the reasons is we've never fully gone at it with all of our heart, as the Scripture says. Right? Work at it with all your heart. You see, we, we feel like if I had a greater opportunity, then I would find satisfaction. But listen, we serve a God who's alive. Nothing misses his view. And he rewards those who are working as unto him with all of their heart because that's a person of integrity. Like if, if, if I'm not doing my best for my employer, then I've lost integrity. I'm actually cheating them. It's a poor testimony to the Lord, and it begins to erode my integrity or the wholeness that I have. Andrew Murray said it this way. It's a great quote. If you aren't faithful with the lesser things, you cannot expect greater. And one of the reasons why we don't have the opportunities that we'd like to have is because we've never fully embraced the concept of working with all of our heart is unto the Lord right now in the present. You see? Let me wrap this up. This final point, Solomon says, it's so important that we work with integrity because if not, we're the one who loses. We don't take advantage of people like we think. We get taken advantage of. Wisdom understands, this is a confusing quote. When you say, why is it confusing? Because I wrote it. I looked at it about five times and said, I could surely write this better. But anyways, here it is. <laughs> Wisdom understands that when we attempt to take advantage of someone, that someone becomes us. Does that make sense? You try to take advantage of somebody financially, the boomerang effect happens spiritually. That's what we see. We begin to be the one who's taken advantage of. We come apart. We lose our integrity. So here's the question, the fourth question. Is there any deceit in how I'm earning my money? It's a really important question. Let's go over them. How do I define wealth? It's an important one because it will define you. Am I looking to stuff for my significance? What do we say today? You don't have a spending problem. We have a heart problem. Am I chasing any fantasies? I'm spending so much time on get-rich-quick schemes. Is there any deceit in how I'm earning my money? These are important questions. 
Here's a final thought. The best things in life can't be bought. Isn't that true? I mean, the, the greatest things in life, they can't be bought. One of the greatest things of my weekend, last night my granddaughter got up in my lap, gave me a hug, and I asked her for a kiss. She said, no, I said, one out of two is not bad. I loved it. The best things in life can't be bought. Invest in those, they pay the biggest dividends. But as we think about the gospel, the best thing in life is my relationship with the Lord Jesus who gives me peace, presence, and power right now and in eternity with him. That is the best thing in life. And here's how the money works on that deal. I was bankrupt because of my sin. Does that make sense? Bankrupt. And what God was asking of me was perfection, not a chance, not a chance to receive it. But Christ came and redeemed me, purchased me with his perfect life. He died a sacrificial death for me. And then by faith in him, I receive his righteousness. Wow. You see, that is the truly best thing in life. And it can be purchased, but it can be received. Can I close with this? Whatever you do, be relationally rich. Whatever you do, be relationally rich. Father, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its conviction and correction and challenge and encouragement. And now through the power of your Holy Spirit, show us the next step we're to take. In Jesus' name, amen.